Welcome. So it's June 2nd, 2022. I thought I'd open up with Palladio uh, because, you know, we're going to be talking about architecture today. And he was a a very well-known architect, but uh, not in the sense of civil engineering or building houses. Now, uh, yesterday I had an internet outage uh, that wasn't coming back until this morning. And, you know, I realized just how many things are connected to this internet. The one that everyone participates in, not the one that follows things along. And by that, I mean, let me give you a reminder of it getting caught live. December 32nd, 1969. Remember that? On two occasions, two accounts. But I digress. Let's uh, focus on what's happening and why. And, And talk a little bit about evil. And uh, discerning that from actual tragic circumstances. And um, I'm going to explain to you what these shootings have to do with what's going on. Of course, the shooter is a man of color. So, you know, kind of that's the only one they could find. And I'll tell you why that shooting happened in Oklahoma. As you all know, very encouraged, isn't it? So we have a lot of news. Um, former presidential candidate, according to CNN, Michael Avenatti, as we laughed before, uh, talking about how they were pushing him uh, as a pre- presidential candidate for 2020. Remember Brian Stetler just drooling from his mouth, thinking of Michael Avenatti being president? Well, you know, he just got four years. Uh, today, he was sentenced to four years for pretty much um, swindling money from Stormy Daniels. Um, and he swindled money out of her book. He got four years for it. Uh, the porn actress that, um, you know, had supposedly hired him to put out news um, was interesting because the judge in Avenatti's case um, said that his crime against Stormy was because he was desperate when he was struggling and uh, (laughs) he called that egregious and craven and blamed it on blind ambition, which is something else we're going to talk about today. So Avenatti already in a prison uniform looked really upset uh, and sad. I pray for him. I think he's starting to realize just who he was dancing with. See, we all have a choice on, uh, you know, what we give into and what we don't. Uh, and, and this all comes back to the question of, of existence. You know, uh, the, the, there, there, there's two types of worlds. The non-objective world and the world 
of objectivity. Can I say that? Well, let me say this. Many out there that are listening to my voice right now are conscious, right? Unless you're uh, unconscious and listening to me in your sleep, or if you're in a coma and someone put headphones on, or I've just appeared in your playlist and you're listening to me. Most of you are conscious, and those of you that are probably in an unconscious state listening to me are now starting to get conscious. See, that's the way it works. What does being conscious actually mean? Conscious. Oh, your conscious is going to tell you what to do, what's right or wrong. But consciousness means that you're aware. It means that you're aware of your surroundings. Right now, you're listening to my voice. Those of you watching the screen see my little face pulsating. Uh, you can feel your feet, uh, what you're sitting on, uh, what you're What's on your table in front of you, in your lap, or in the car as you're driving? And now, you know, you suddenly pay attention to those things, even though you knew they were there before, but you're actually conscious about them. But then there's the unconscious, where we, where we don't really think. And see, I like to use science because that's something that, uh, actual science, right? Because that's something that gives us better foundation. But I've said this many, many times before over the years that trusting your gut is important. And the, the reason um, this is so is because there are uh, different features. Shall I say features? Is that the right word? To consciousness, in the sense, oh, I'm trying to see how I'm going to put that together. Um, so there's, um, I don't, how do I, how do I define this? I'm, I'm like trying to figure out how to define this. Um, okay, so as I've said, your gut, your actual intestinal area has something called uh, its own nervous. It has a secondary nervous system. It's a ganglionic system, which means every neuron thinks for itself, independent. The information is decentralized and processed. That's why you can trust it. It's not uh, chordate intelligence. There we go. It's ganglionic intelligence. So ganglionic intelligence, I would say, is that you have, say, five neurons in your gut, and all five of them independently process information all information. See, these are senses that we no longer pay attention to. Chordate intelligence is what we know as normal thinking, which is all the neurons respond back to a central processing um, system, which is your brain. And based on previous experiences and memories you know you have and don't even know you have, or may have formulated without your knowing in your existence or inherited, uh, then, um, you know, you respond uh, to whatever stimuli you have. Your ganglionic intelligence is uh, uh, decentralized and therefore each neuron for itself. And this is possibly why you get those butterflies in your stomach just before something really bad is happening. Not because your intestines can see it, but the other neurons do and inadvertently affect those that are decentralized too. 
So a centralized system can affect a decentralized system. I mean, better example than that (laughs) is the crypto market, but I digress. That's a conversation for another time. Having said that, in regards to processing of information, uh, and how we process it. It's, it's key here in that type of um, intelligence. So that way you can stand back and see the, the, the broader speck of things. How's this? Let's take it back to what happened at that school with the young boy. And now everyone's asking the questions I said they should have been asking in the first place. How old, ID, money, financing. And then everybody finds all this insane amount of money going there and it's whatever. So first one, let's kill 19. Great number, isn't it? 19 children. Let's slaughter them all at the hands of another child. Um, you know, I tend to think that human beings are actually children till they were 40. I mean, back in the day, they used to live about a thousand years and you probably wouldn't go to school till you were about 200, 300 years old, right? I'm just saying. So for the first 30 to 40% of your life, you're still learning. You still haven't gotten it. And usually by then you're lost in the thick of the forest, but that's a story for another time. So anyway, going on, they killed all these children because that's really sad and it will make people upset. And we obviously can see, and they're pointing out that, uh, you know, universal background checks, which means global background checks, which means sharing all your private identifying information with other people uh, don't work because kids and other people can still get guns illegally. Therefore, you know, the, the, the continuation of that conversation is we need to get rid of all the guns. Now, we've had the first shooting at a hospital. Tell me where they're going with this. See, when people find out what this vaccine has done to them, There will be a lot of people that have guns that will be doing exactly what that guy did with the alleged back surgery. Here's what the local news um, said, what the police said about this gentleman who shot up four people and then killed himself uh, in Tulsa earlier. It's important to understand motive, motivation, motivation, motivation is the key to everything, right? Intent, intent. Let's listen to this guy's intent. Michael Lewis went into the hospital for for a a back back surgery. surgery. The performing physician was Dr. Preston Phillips. Mr. Lewis was released on 5-24, May the 24th. After release, Lewis called several times over several days complaining of pain and wanted additional treatment. On May 31st, Dr. Phillips saw Mr. Lewis again for additional treatment. Yesterday, June 1st, Lewis called Dr. Phillips' office again complaining of back pain and wanting additional assistance. Now, we know... Through the help of our ATF and their gun tracing that at 2 p.m. on June the 1st, Mr. Lewis purchased a semi-automatic rifle from a local gun store. That semi-automatic rifle was an AR-15 style 
rifle. We know that Mr. Lewis purchased a semi-automatic handgun, a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson pistol on May the 29th from a local pawn shop. Thus far, we have recovered 30 223 casings from the crime scene. We have also recovered seven 40 caliber casings from the crime scene. We have also found a letter on the suspect which made it clear that he came in with the intent to kill Dr. Phillips and anyone who got in his way. He blamed Dr. Phillips for the ongoing pain following the surgery. Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for checking out the NBC News. Oh, please stop. NBC's, I, I think, is it NBC or CBS that are going bust first? I keep forgetting. I think it's the B, S, and B, C that uh, get me confused. <laughs> so this guy went to the hospital to shoot up the doctor because he's responsible for his pain. Pain! As someone who lives with pain. I can tell you all you want it to do is stop. I personally, and this is kind of like TMI, but, you know, personally, whenever um, I get a flare up, I could be driving, walking, flying, in the bathroom, cooking, whatever it is. When my liver and my intestines, through adhesions, I believe, this is, this is the, um, the interpretation that I received from my doctors when they said the only thing we can do is either go in there and clear out the adhesions or you can go to pain clinic. There was no way I'm going to have someone open me up on a table and chisel off scar tissue between organs that, that would make me wake up and hurt more. And being on pain medication all the time would therefore render me inert <laughs> as a being. So, um, I prefer to have some pain and, uh, you know, at first the pain would be, you know, a couple seconds that feel like they last forever. And we're talking, it immobilizes you. I turn white, my head starts to sweat. It could be freezing outside and my head will sweat and I will just have to stand there and wait for it. I can feel it coming on. So if I'm driving, it gives me enough warning to pull over. Uh, you know, because uh, I now uh, over the past six years, uh, when this first occurred, it escalated from just a couple of seconds to sometimes 30 seconds, which, um, uh, you know, <laughs> seems like an eternity. So I understand. Um, I, I really understand uh, the, the, the drive and the anger of someone who has pain, but... That in no way means that we approve of the method. He executes uh, that um, anger and pain and demand for retribution. But this was one of many that you're going to come uh, to see. They're going to start vaccinating children under five as of June 21st. And there are people now that have questions about their kids. That's all, that's all that needs to happen right now, right? Is we need parents that are armed who are going to go into hospitals and blow things up, right? That's what they're going to be doing. 
You think that's funny. They're they're keeping it not just senseless killing of children because that shoot up made no sense. Like, why did they go? Oh, he just had evil, whatever. Right. Uh, you know, this is I'm I'm telling you, uh, they're setting the tone for what's to come. We need to protect all these nurses and doctors that gave you shit with no inserts that violated their Hippocratic oaths. We need to protect them because you're crazy and you're blaming them for, you know, whatever it may be. This is, this is what they're setting up. They're setting this up very well. Now, um, if you notice that um, on the, is it the 9th of June? I believe that now there will be prime time live streaming of the J six commission which means I need to move the hours of my show, but I will be dovetailing on streaming that afterwards. Now, um, the reason that's happening, well, there's a lot of stuff that's happening now. Considering that today and yesterday, John Durham met with various people because various people are going to be arrested. There are a lot of questions now of where all this money to Ukraine is going. See how your letters kind of worked because we got the Pentagon involved now. So there's a lot happening, but as there's a lot happening on their end, you better believe it's going to be happening on this end. This is not a hyperbole. It's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be pretty interesting considering the Michigan attorney general expects charges in the 2020 plot to overturn in a coordinated effort to overturn the results of a 2020 presidential election. Apparently Dana Nessel made the remarks on Wednesday uh, at a conference. The target of this investigation supporters of president Donald J. Trump, <laughs> Michigan. She told the paper that her office had been investigating an unprecedented and coordinated push to overturn the election on behalf of Trump. Michigan, cha, you better start writing off those letters to your AG. You better remind her who the fuck she works for. I have talked to countless people at our department who have been there 30, 40, or even 50 years. Well, that's problem number one. She's a Democrat, too. But why would you have someone in the office for 30, 40, or 50 years? So this is really new territory. There's no way to say, here's how we've always handled this. So she has been involved in at least three investigations into the effort to overturn the election. No charges have been filed. But Nessel wouldn't say when the charges would be filed or provide specifics. She can't speak to details of this investigation, but she's telling you that someone's getting criminally charged. What does that mean? Um, I'm telling you that I'm going to investigate you if you're talking about voter fraud and you're going to be on my list. Just watch it. So, uh, you know, considering that it's in our constitution, that it is our duty to overthrow a usurpation, a usurper, um, and it is our duty to do that. I don't see how she would make any charges stick. Therefore, this seems like a threat, a nice little threat. All the while, in Michigan, Republicans are taking the fight to get on the primary ballot to the Michigan Supreme Court. 
So the two Republican candidates for governor who were knocked off the ballot because of a gush of alleged petition forgeries have asked the Michigan Supreme Court to immediately hear their cases and intervene to put their names on the August primary ballot. Perry Johnson um, filed his motion on Wednesday to appeal the ruling from the Court of Appeals. And early Thursday morning, Donna Brandenburg, uh, who also is a GOP candidate, asked the high court to order that her name be put on the ballot, according to court documents. You know, I'm kind of glad, see, that this is happening because I'm expecting LaRose to do something to my placement on the ballot now. And so they're taking it first. So, um, uh, this is it is basically the bottom line of what the attorneys are saying that if the court doesn't relief, then Perry Johnson won't be on the ballot in August. And every single one of over the 15,000 voters who validly signed a petition to place him on the ballot will be denied their candidate. Now, both of them came shortly after the court. Uh, Judge uh, Gleischer said, you know, um, she denied the challenge from former Detroit police chief Craig, who was also disqualified for the ballot because of alleged petition forgeries. Craig said late Thursday morning that he will also appeal to the Michigan uh, Supreme Court. This is getting really interesting. Go figure. I already went through that. I went through my Supreme Court and they validated the illegalities. Now, while many say many were forgeries, you have to ask yourself, right? Um, who contested it, who filed that appeal and who was the one that collected them? Do they have their name? They need to see where they were working for. If they have that, then, you know, this is a conspiracy to maintain people off the ballot. So it's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the court of appeals though, on Wednesday, um, rejected a lawsuit from Markey, uh, when he said he wanted to take his case to the Michigan Supreme court, all of them are moving ahead. Now, um, this is, this is, this is becoming pretty interesting in the state of Michigan. Considering, you know, they had a, a false kidnapping. You know what? People should remind that shit to the attorney general there. Your state set up a false fucking kidnapping. Did the feds just come in and do this operation without telling you? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Just so you guys know, the attorney general of every state is the head of every single police department. He dictates everything that has to do with the law in regards to the state. Therefore, if the FBI created this uh, weird, fake abduction and kidnapping of the governor with a mentally ill, card-carrying mentally ill person as the only one actual non-FBI, you sure as hell know that your AG Dana knew it too. That's the way it is. You sure as hell know that she, she knew it too. So maybe people should start asking questions. Did the FBI execute an operation within the territory of Michigan without your knowledge, AG Dana? You know, that's a very interesting question. People should start asking the AG of Michigan if the FBI conducted an operation within the borders and jurisdiction of the state of Michigan without her permission. See, if they did it without her permission, then Michigan citizens and residents of Michigan can actually sue the FBI for damages for staging a kidnapping. If Dana knew, then Dana needs to resign.
So these are two questions that people should be asking. I can't ask all these questions. I'm one person. I may be hypersocial, but I am just one person. People like me do not exist. And therefore, these are just things that people of the state of Michigan should be doing. See, kind of like John Durham. He said, all right, you're not being straightforward. I'm going to take it to court. If the court says that you didn't lie or you didn't uh, misrepresent yourself to the FBI, that means that the FBI is lying when they said that you didn't tell them or that you misrepresented yourself. Therefore, I can throw it all on them. See, this is how you ask questions. So again, you know, the people of Michigan should send an email or a letter to their attorney general and say, hey, Dana, so I've been following the news and shit about this uh, FBI sting where they have this mentally handicapped guy try to, you know, kidnap the governor. I'd like you to ask the answer the following questions. Pretty simple. Yes and no. One, did the FBI make you aware that they were conducting a clandestine operation within the jurisdiction of within the borders of Michigan or your jurisdiction? Two, if you knew about it, why didn't you stop it? Isn't it illegal to pretend to, uh, you know, kidnap a governor and then blame a whole demographic? Pretty simple. Just a question. See how they'd like to answer, you know, this type of shit should be asked in a criminal court. But I digress. Now, uh, in, in other news that we have going on, I guess going on, uh, is uh, aside from Michigan, we got shit going on in Utah, too. So in Utah, there's some really weird stuff coming out. So... The Utah County Attorney um, elections. Uh, the incumbent, who's Mr. Levitt, he was forced to, on the record, deny that he and his wife engaged in cannibalism and ritual sex abuse of children. Like, he actually sat there and had to say, well, you know, I don't eat people and me and my wife haven't done any ritualistic sexual abuse on children. So Levitt actually um, had a press conference um, on some local station. I, I don't remember which one uh, where he like turned around and like attacked the, U the Utah County's sheriff's office because they announced to the public that they're looking into a child sex abuse ring that operated in Utah, Wab, and San Pete counties between 1990 and 2010. I can tell you that the Attorney General Wayne Stengem has some connections to San Pete County. Just putting it out there. Just saying. So anyway, the sheriff makes this announcement and the people of Utah are like, what the heck is going on? Right. Um, what the heck is going on? Like, what do you mean? There was a whole huge child sex abuse ring. So now this U.S. Uh, you know, attorney incumbent, right, he's on the ballot. He's telling, you know, reporters that he and his wife have both been investigated of being part of that abuse ring and was cleared of any wrongdoing. Then um, he said that the county um, sheriff, Smith, um, 
he was just making the announcement of the child sex abuse ring to cause him political harm on the upcoming election. That's so weird. And the thing is, is, you know, here's, here's a statement. Listen to this. There's no organized ring of abuse. It was debunked more than 10 years ago. It was dismissed by someone who was not in any respect affiliated with me. And it wasn't even investigated in a serious way by the sex crimes task force of Utah County. That's, that is, that's this all that occurs less than one week before ballots drop in an election, which I'm participating, causes me tremendous concern. Well, hey, hold on. So 10 years ago, it was investigated. He was at the center of the investigation. And he was cleared. And now, just before everything, the sheriff's like, nah, man, we're going to look into this because we got some new evidence. He's like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing it. He's like, I take exception to any victim coming forward and being categorized as tragically um, mentally ill. That's what Sheriff Smith said. Because now they're saying that anyone that came forward, right, is mentally ill. These victims of these crimes that actually had the courage to speak up are now being told by the person running for state attorney that they're all crazy and psychotic and mentally ill. So weird. So that's on Utah, cannibalism and satanic ritual sex slaves. So weird. And speaking of weird, if you guys remember, I kept, uh, you know, my distance from making any statements about uh, Roy Moore. And that was, except for the fact that the signature didn't match and it was done after the fact. Well, I'd like to tell you that uh, apparently uh, Roy Moore can proceed with the libel suit over the allegation that he solicited sex at a mall from a 14-year-old girl. So um, apparently people are saying that he was banned from the mall because he repeatedly badgered, you know, teen girls. Now he's actually suing them. Good job. That's what people should do. Take it to the courts. Make them pay when they say shit like that. Now, um, where do we go aside from all of this insanity? You know, uh, like Turkey changed their name. You're supposed to call them Turkiya, right? They even changed the spelling. It's two with the U with the umlauts at the top. R-K-I-Y-E. Turkiya. He sent a letter to that fascist Cretan Guterres, the UN Secretary General, saying you need to change the way you call us. We're not Turkey. We're Turkia. And that's better. We're Turkia. Oh, here comes the rebrand. So just so you know, there it is. On the other hand, another two big news things. The media is going wild over the, uh, you know, student loan forgiveness. There is no student loan forgiveness. Let me elaborate. So the Corinthian stream of schools, right? Obviously, people go to university. It's a private chain of university schools uh, called the Corinthian. Uh, People would apply for federal student loans and they would get them and then go to school. But what happens is the school was defunct, meaning, you know, people would not get jobs. It wasn't being accredited. So the federal government in not doing its due diligence 
has to not make people pay because they took that loan to repay it with the expectation that they would be getting an education. So this wasn't student loan forgiveness. It was they had to do it. Right. It's like the federal government saying we only back universities that are federally accredited and that we've done our due diligence. Therefore, taking a loan from us to pay that school is deemed okay and safe. This is why they paid back. It has nothing to do with we're going to forgive student loans. It's rubbish and it's stupid. It's like me saying I give loans to vetted car dealers and then you go to a car dealership and you get a car and you get a lemon and then you you're just like the next day, my car's broken and your state has a lemon law, but me, the loan company says I only give loans to dealers. So then you come after me and I have to forgive your loan because I've said in that statement that I stand by giving loans only to things that will actually give you what you expect, accredited education. This is it. This has nothing to do with helping the losers that decided to take French and they're stuck at Starbucks. It has nothing to do with people that are like, I don't know, I'll just do sociology or gender studies and get myself a really high paying job in a cubicle. Doing what? Yeah, nothing. So it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with backing what you say. It is their obligation. They got sued. The media is not telling you about that. That is the truth. There was no loan forgiveness. Okay. It was just a scam. Okay. And the federal government is responsible for that scam. That's why they're paying people back. Okay. It has nothing to do with, oh, we're forgiving loans. Nothing to do. So anyone says it, say no. It was a scam. The federal government got sued because they, the federal loans should only be given to schools that they can vouch for. And if the school is defunct and it's fake and your degree doesn't count, they shouldn't be paying for it. It's pretty simple. Okay. It's pretty simple. So it wasn't loan forgiveness because they're bleeding hearts. It's loan forgiveness because they got sued. Okay. So, um, that's, that's, uh, that's on that news. On other news, we have that SCOTUS, you know, they're saying, Oh, it's letting states use the legal GOP maps. Now keep in mind, SCOTUS cannot make decisions, uh, for other states. The states can decide. Yes. The voting rights act is a big deal. Yes. This and that. But remember, what have I told you? Election theft is real, and it's not the damn Democrats doing it. It's the damn Republicans running the show. And I think this is depictant of this right now. And some of them are giving really heavy blue districts, and other ones are really, really red. They're dividing people based on money and color. It is the most racist shit I have ever seen, but that's okay. See, why can't we do it like we did in North Korea and South Korea? Why do we have to put so much effort into data and shit when we could just go there and say, oh, let's just draw a line right here? That's a county. Let's draw another one. I mean, that's what we did with Korea, right? We just went to wherever we wanted without asking Korea. It was Stalin, Churchill, right? And Roosevelt that were like, yeah, let's sit down. Let's just draw a line right here. Don't ask them. That's the way districts should be. They shouldn't be based on demographics and money, which obviously they know because of all the data that everyone supplies to them. Now, speaking of data, a lot of people are digging into some of my older articles since people like to recycle old news and pretend it's new, or maybe they just had a revelation lately of maybe we should tell some truth. So Spirit of America is coming into focus considering that General Jones and all his cronies like Raw Story <laughs> have been funding Ukraine, but whatever. 
And now all of this on the 702 over collections is coming out. Something I said, maybe because I was looking at all those over over collections, just like I said I was because I had access to the system. But I digress, right? See, all of this is coming out as news and none of them have the balls to say, well, you know, she was right. She talked about in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And I even had Millie do a video and 2020 and, 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 and like a broken record. And I'm tired. I'm so tired of just repeating the same thing. And that, you know, like that is a question, right? Um, for us as people, I guess, thinking and existing and just being a resident, a citizen. It's just, you know, ah, I'm trying to, you know, when I was a kid, um, I remember when I got that letter from NASA, um, you know, I had sent off some schematic that kind of looked like an atomic bomb, but I was using Unix helium, which is an element that existed, but doesn't exist now. That's my Mandela effect. It was the 103rd element. The symbolism was UN, capital U, little n, little e, um, 103rd element. And it behaved just like uranium. Only thing is, um, the enriched uranium, once it reaches a tensegrity capacity of the container, were stimulated in such a way it um, explodes, whereas uh, an exhelium uh, with tensegrity or agitation of confinement, it decays, which means it's constantly renewable. So it's splitting and growing just like uranium. But when it hits, like if it starts at the center and then it hits one side of the wall, it'll decay instantly. So then the next one that split will hit and decay instantly and then again and again. So anyway, it was like a form of renewable energy. And I was really, really excited. And so my first task at John Hopkins University, part of this program, right, was uh, going through some little program thing that they had for us nerds. Uh, people that needed to be flown out were flown out um, along with their parents, obviously, because some of us were way too young like me. And I remember when we sat there, the first thing they asked us to do was, uh, you know, most of them were <laughs> not to be a stereotype, <laughs> but most of them were either Asian or Indian. Um, uh, we were asked to write a poem. Right. And it was so weird. We were asked to write um, a poem. And the poem was supposed to be what question we have. And so, um, you know, I'd never written a poem then. I, I, I didn't know what a poem was. Uh, so I asked and they were like, well, some, well, the one Asian kid turned around, she had like the bowl cut, you know, the bangs and the bob. Right. And I remember her hair flinging and just staying in place almost like it was like aquanetted. And, um, she was explaining to me what a haiku was. I'm, I'm assuming cause she was telling me it was like in sets of three or whatever. And there's a structure. And then one of the teachers in the lab coat said, well, it could be anything. You could just do whatever a monologue is. And I was like, oh, okay, great. So 
I wanted to ask the question of what is behind the stars. So I called it the, 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 what is it? The monologue of um, a madman and how I pictured the story in my head when I wrote it was some guy in a straight jacket in a padded white room explaining to someone else how, you know, this white room is like a blank canvas. And so he can draw anything he wants. And then, you know, then he tells his doctor who's asking him about it. Okay, here, look, I'm going to erase the trees. I'm going to erase this. And then I'm going to, here's outer space. Look at all the stars, the moon, the sun. I'm going to erase the sun. I'm going to erase the moon. I'm going to erase the earth. I'm going to erase the stars. And now I'm going to erase the black. So what's behind the black? And that was the question. It was like, if you, if it was a canvas and you could lift the paper behind outer space, what's there, right? And so it reminded me of the questions we all ask ourselves. It's like, we're trying to figure out what's behind all of this. Like, what is the end game, right? And what is the end game of what they're doing right now? What is the end game um, with um, the vaccinations? What is the end game with these elections? What is the end game of everything? What is the end game? You know, people need to know that there's, you know, you got to be motivated to do something, right? Um, that, that is what people want. You want to have this motivation to do something, a potential for something to be there, right? You want to be able to do something. You got to say, okay, well, uh, you know, like when you go fishing and you have a line out there and you put bait on it, the reason you have the bait on there is because, you know, you want something, you know, um, you want fish, I mean, it could just be killing time if there's no fish, but then why would you put the bait if you knew there's no fish, right? So again, there's got to be a reason for everything, you know, and it all comes down to understanding that without limitations, you cease to exist. I know it sounds really, really insane, but so many of you out there, believe in your heart in God, right? And it's, it's, it's really weird, right? Think about it. And I, and I want you to be honest with yourself. If you truly, truly, truly believed in God, that God is above everything and everything is instantaneous to him, and you are mere nothing, just a bleep in, in the system, right? Let's just say, right? It's a, tr- it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrifying thought. Think about it. It is kind of terrifying to think that there is a God. I know it sounds, you know, hard to say it, but let's be honest. How terrifying is it to you to know that there are beings that can squash you with just a thought. That there is something that is so grand that it can eliminate you with the stroke of a pen or a wave of a hand. It is quite terrifying. 
And that all stems from, uh, you know, feeling that you must live, you know, that you must live. Constraints are necessary to realize that you exist. See, without constraints, how do you know you exist? You can't know you exist just, yeah, I just know it. Okay, let's put it this way. I tell you that um, we're going to talk about something, right? Right now, I'm telling all of you we're going to talk about something. Okay. And then you're like, all right, sure, let's talk. And I'll be like, you go first. You're probably going to sit there for a couple seconds and you're going to be like, what, what the hell, Tori? You just said we're going to talk about something and you're telling me to go first, but I don't know what we're talking about. See what I mean? This is exactly what I'm talking about. If there are no boundaries and no set agendas and no constraint, right? And you haven't defined what's going on, then there's no existence and no freedom of choice. You could say, but Tori, you just said I could pick whatever I want. Yeah, I just set the parameters to you. See, if I say, let's have a conversation and you're like, all right, okay. And then I'm like, you go first and you stop for a second. You're going to be like, what the, then you're going to come to me and say, all right, wait, hold on a second. You said, you know, you said, let's have a conversation. And then you tell me to go first. Like, what are we talking about? And then I set the rules of this engagement. And I tell you anything you want. See, you need the rules in order to exist. Because if there are no rules, well, no. Yeah, if there are no rules and you have no idea what you're doing, then you can't make a choice, then you don't exist. I hope that helps in a way. I hope that helps. Hence why you can dictate almost everything. But you know, the one thing that I find most amazing about humankind and about the creation of man, who I, you know, we're going to kick back to Pandora, right? Is the vulnerability that people have, right? The vulnerability. And it's that being vulnerable that makes humans so incredible because it's in that vulnerability that the tragedy can derive from and beauty and creativity can derive from and, and, you know, just love can derive from being vulnerable, but it being in the state of being vulnerable also allows for evil to exist and, 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 and evil does not simply exist. It doesn't simply exist. It is created. No energy can be created or destroyed. It simply is. And before we get into that, delve into that conversation, um, it's important for me, um, to advise you that um, in Australia, they are seeking something called dark matter. That was news today. It's Australia now. Now we're going to the big continent. So weird. Take a listen. 
a gold mine a couple hours outside Melbourne, of Melbourne. Because one kilometer underground, they are putting in a detector to look for dark matter. Let's go. It's going to take 30 minutes to go down a kilometer underground. Dark matter is thought to make up 85% of all the matter in existence. It could form a shadow universe five times more massive than everything we can see. Over the past several decades, over 50 experiments have tried to make a direct detection of dark matter, but none of them has found anything except one. Under a mountain in the Italian Alps, there is a dark matter detector called Dama Libra. It's been collecting data for around 20 years, and every year it sees the same peculiar results. The rate of detections increases to a peak in June and then decreases to a minimum in November. Some scientists think this could be the first direct evidence of dark matter. But why would dark matter create a periodic annual signal? Well, this is our galaxy, or at least what it looks like with visible light. Astronomers suspect it is surrounded and permeated by a huge sphere of dark matter, invisible particles that are zipping around all in random directions. According to most theories, Dark matter doesn't interact with anything, including itself, except through gravity. We think there should be five times as much dark matter as there is ordinary matter. Now, our solar system is moving around the galaxy at 220 kilometers per second. That means we're also moving through dark matter at this rate, except Earth orbit. I want to say something. So, you know, when, uh, you know, not advocating for either side... Right, because I'm on neither side. I'm in the middle. But I'm just saying, for those that believe that everything that they've been told about this planet is true, they believe that they travel at 220 kilometers per second while they rotate at like 300,000, while they go in an oval sphere around the sun, while they're spinning on its own axis again and again and again in a cyclical fashion, and they tilt rather than the fact that it may not look like that. And that sounds a little bit far-fetched. I'm just saying. I just thought I'd point it out just to, you know, just point it out. Orbits the, the sun, sun at 30, 30 kilometers, kilometers a second. A second. So, so for half, half the year, we're moving with the sun, going faster through dark matter. And the other half the year, we're moving in the opposite direction, so going slower through dark matter. And the idea is we encounter more dark matter when we're moving through it fastest, which happens to be in June, and less of it when we're moving slowest, which happens in November. The actual geometry is a little more complicated. The solar system is tilted at 60 degrees relative to the plane of the galaxy. But the idea still works. So the signal observed at Dama Libra may be due to this motion through dark matter. Or it might not be due to dark matter at all. It could just be something mundane like the temperature, humidity, moisture in the soil, the snow on the mountain, or the number of tourists in Italy. All of these things fluctuate with the period, period of one year. year. And that So hold on. So in June, we're at the trough. In November, we're at the trough. And in June, we're at the peak is, is what he's saying, right? June, we're at peak. November is trough. Kind of like understanding yin and yang, isn't it? In order to know that you're going left, <laughs> you got to know that there's a right too. 
In order to know that you're going up, there's got to be a down too, circadian. It's kind of a flow. So what they're saying is that they believe that dark matter has peaks. What is dark matter? How are they defining it? It's important. Or it might not be due to dark matter at all. It could just be something mundane like the temperature, humidity, moisture in the soil, the snow on the mountain, or the number of tourists in Italy. All of these things fluctuate with a period of one year. And that is why they're going to build an almost identical experiment in the southern hemisphere, down the bottom of this gold mine outside of Melbourne. Because there, the seasons are reversed, but our motion through dark matter is still the same. So if we see the same signal, it's pretty strong evidence for the existence of dark matter. One of the big what did he just say? Because they've told us that in the Southern Hemisphere, the seasons are reversed and that the Northern has reversed in the Southern. They're saying since this is done in the Northern Hemisphere, which is by the belly button of the Earth, so I find it really difficult, but whatever. In the Northern Hemisphere, uh, they've created this underground facility that measures dark matter. And this, these are the results they've been getting. So now they're going to go to the Southern Hemisphere and see. Will they have a peak in November and a trough in June and give identical results? Or will it be June for them and November for them because the months are the same as in time, but, uh, you know, uh, it has, it bears no relevance to them being in the alleged Southern hemisphere. So that's interesting. The problems that Dharma Libra has is that there are other very similar, similar experiments that don't see anything. anything. And, this has led to, you know, a lot of uncertainty about is the Dharma Libra signal really dark matter? So, yeah, we, you know, we don't know, right? The favorite thing in, in science. But why do we think dark matter exists in the first place? In 1933, Swiss astronomer Fritz Zwicky was studying the Coma Cluster, a collection of more than a thousand galaxies. These galaxies are gravitationally bound together. So they all orbit around their collective center of mass. Zwicky measured the orbital speeds of these galaxies and found that some were moving way faster than he expected. It was as if there was a lot more matter in the cluster than he could see, pulling everything inwards. So he proposed the existence of invisible matter, which he called Dunkel Materi, the origin of the term dark matter. No one really took this idea seriously, but 40 years later, dark matter turned up again. Vera Rubin and Kent Ford observed the motion of stars in the Andromeda galaxy, and they expected that the further out from the center you go, the slower the stars would be orbiting. But this is not what they found. The rotational velocity stays almost constant with increasing distance from the center. Without additional mass in the galaxy to pull those stars in, they should be flung off into space. The result was the same in other galaxies. Using radio telescopes, Albert Bosma and others measured hydrogen gas even further out from a galaxy's center. But the rotational velocity still stayed constant. One way to explain this is to posit the existence of matter we can't see. Dark matter, which holds all these galaxies together. So here's something weird, though. If you actually pay attention to a cell on its own, all the electrons that make up the proteins that make up the scaffolding, right? Uh, 
all have the same movement around each other. Also, DNA, when it coils around itself to be able to fit a lot of data, right? It's two meters. If you actually lay out your one DNA strand and you just take it and you unravel it, it's two meters long. And yet you can't see it with the naked eye because of how compact it is. So they're calling this centrific type collection of planets, stars, energy, whatever you want to call it, this tightening of it and the sequestration of it, uh, you know, dark matter having to do with the speed and the motion. And then you have to question, why the hell are we looking at other galaxies when we haven't even explored our own Earth properly? It's just so dumb. So let's say you have a star, and this represents the mass of everything in the center of the galaxy that's pulling the star in. The star can maintain a stable orbit if its centripetal force is equal to the gravitational attraction to all the mass in the rest of the galaxy. And so you can see that at about a distance of one meter, this is the speed of the orbit. Okay, but what happens if we add some dark matter? So this water bottle represents the matter we can't see. Now there is more mass pulling this star into the middle, which means at the same orbit, it can now go much faster. And in fact, it must go faster to maintain that orbit. And this explains the observation. This is what we see. (laughs) By looking at the rotation speeds of stars, scientists estimate that about 85% of the mass of a galaxy is dark matter. But there's another way to explain these observations without invoking dark matter, and that is to modify our theory of gravity. What's the supporting evidence for thinking that the particle idea is totally misguided and we should actually be looking at a revised theory of gravity. You can either invoke something we can't see, or you just say, well, the universe is what we can see, and we need a way to explain what's going on out there. And the only way we can do that is by modifying the laws of physics. So when you look at the outskirts of galaxies, you know, they've got a lot of centripetal acceleration. You know, Dark matter says, oh, well, that centripetal acceleration is due to the gravitational effect of dark matter. Whereas the people like the modern will say, no, that's centripetal acceleration. That's just the fact that it's now reached this floor and can't get any lower. So they're, they're saying that, that there's not additional force due to dark matter, but there's a limit to how low the acceleration can go. I think the consensus is hugely in favor of it being a physical substance in that it just seems reasonable that, is that, that there could be other particles out there that we haven't seen yet. And there's more evidence. This is the Bullet Cluster, a site where two clusters of galaxies collided. Most of the ordinary mass of these clusters is in the interstellar gas. And when the collision occurred, the interstellar gas interacted, heated up, and slowed down. So you'd expect that most of the mass of the Bullet Cluster would be in the middle, where all of this gas is. But if you use gravitational lensing, the way that gravity bends light... You can actually measure where most of the mass in this picture is, and it isn't in the middle. It's actually on either side. So the best way to explain this is that when the clusters collided, all that gas got stuck in the middle, 
but the dark matter passed right through, creating the most gravitational lensing where we can see the least ordinary matter. Even more evidence for dark matter comes from the oldest light in the universe. 380,000 years after the Big Bang, light could finally travel through the universe unimpeded. And this is what we see as the cosmic microwave background, or CMB. The red spots show where the early universe was a little hotter, and the blue spots show where it was a little cooler. But these temperature differences were tiny, just 0.01%. But they are there. And you can turn this picture into a graph by counting up how many blobs there are of different sizes. So there's the most common size blob, which results in this peak. But there are also other common size blobs, and so you get these other peaks of decreasing size. Now, the height of these peaks depends on how much dark matter there is. In a universe without dark matter, the graph looks like this. But as dark matter increases, the amplitudes of even-numbered peaks decreases. To match the measurements of the CMB, we need about five times as much dark matter as ordinary matter. This figure also agrees with the amount of dark matter required to explain the motion of stars in galaxies and the motion of galaxies in clusters. So the dark matter hypothesis explains a lot of different observations with a simple theoretical framework that there's some type of particle out there that only interacts through gravity. But what is this particle exactly? Since we don't know, scientists have proposed a whole bunch of different things that it could be, and now we have to try to go out and find them. The approach differs depending on what you're trying to find. Damalibra and the detector at the bottom of the gold mine are looking for WIMPs, weakly interacting massive particles. These particles are expected to weigh about as much as a proton, but interact with ordinary matter extremely weakly. At the heart of the detector are seven seven-kilogram crystals of pure sodium iodide. So that's actually sodium iodide in there. Yep. I didn't expect it to be so clear. The idea is that very, very rarely, a dark matter particle may hit a nucleus in the crystal and transfer its energy. This creates a flash of light called a scintillation, which is detected by photomultiplier tubes, very sensitive light detectors, which are positioned above and below each crystal. But there's a problem. Even the purest sodium iodide crystal contains radioactive potassium. And when a potassium atom decays, it emits an electron and a gamma ray. Now, the electron can cause a scintillation in the crystal, just like the hypothesized dark matter particle. So to eliminate these events, the sodium iodide crystals are submerged in a tank full of 12 tons of linear alkyl benzene. This is a liquid scintillator that emits light when exposed to a gamma ray. And that light can then be detected by photomultiplier tubes in the tank. So if there's a simultaneous detection in the crystal and in the tank, it was most likely a potassium decay, not a dark matter event. But there's another problem cosmic rays. Energetic particles from the sun and other galaxies hit the top of Earth's atmosphere, creating muons, essentially heavy electrons, which stream toward the Earth at close to the speed of light. Muons can also create flashes of light in the crystal. This is a muon detector, and it's got these three paddles of plastic here separated by some pieces of steel. If we see a flash of light 
in all three basically the same time, then we know that a muon has passed through them. So if I hit reset, we can see counting up the muons being seen. So it's at least a few a second. This is why all sensitive particle detectors are located deep underground. Here we have the muon detector now one kilometer underground. It's been running for something like 15 minutes and there have been no muon counts. Yeah, we'd have to leave this running for a long time, I think, even if we wanted to get a single hit. Uh, we expect the number of muons down here to be about a million less. And we didn't see a million up the top, so we're probably not going to see any down here. <laughs> and this is the whole point of putting a dark matter detector underground. You want to get rid of all the background that would create noise in the detector. But even this shielding is not enough. They'll have muon detectors immediately above the tank. So if a flash is seen in a crystal at the same time a muon is detected, it can be ruled out. Being underground brings its own challenges. The walls of the mine contain trace amounts of radioactive elements like uranium and thorium, which decay into radon gas. The requirements here are, are fairly serious for a dark matter experiments. We have to completely control the environment, in particular the radon level. To counteract this, the walls of the cavern are coated with special paint to contain radioactive particles. The crystals are immersed in a continuous stream of pure nitrogen gas, and the entire detector is shielded by 120 tons of steel and plastic. Wow! Look at the size of that cavern. There is a lot riding on this experiment. It will validate or disprove one of the most contentious results in physics. So if we see nothing, well, this is the dead of Dama Libra. But if we see something, well, we are all happy. Yeah. I actually like the idea that because, you know, 80% of the mass of the universe is dark matter or dark stuff, maybe there's more than just one particle that dark matter is made of. It could be an entire dark standard model, if you like, a dark version of everything that we can see, or maybe something more complex because there's so much more of it. I, I really hope it's that. <laughs> Do you think that dark matter interacts with ordinary matter? If we want to find out what this stuff is, we better hope there's some level of interaction that we can at least probe when it comes to doing experiments. If God gave me the great book of physics and there were two sections, section A and section B, one for the luminous matter and one for dark matter, and they didn't talk to each other, I would say that was a very peculiar universe. But in science, we have to live with the possibility that, you know, at some level, we may never find the answer. It may elude us. But at least we tried. The sponsor of this video, Brilliant, is the opposite of dark matter. You, you see, see it, it every So that was very interesting. And why this discussion on dark matter? What is it? Well, let's see what it is. Stars and galaxies, planets and trees, rocks and us. This matter accounts for less than 5% of the known universe. About 25% is dark matter and 70% dark energy, both of which are invisible. This is kind of strange because it suggests that everything we experience is really only a tiny fraction of reality. But it gets worse. We really have no clue what dark matter and energy are or how they work. We are pretty sure they exist, though. So... What do we know?
Dark matter is the stuff that makes it possible for galaxies to exist. When we calculated why the universe is structured the way it is, it quickly became clear that there's just not enough normal matter. The gravity of the visible matter is not strong enough to form galaxies and complex structures. Stars would more likely be scattered all over the place and not form galaxies. So we know there is something else inside and around them. Something that doesn't emit or reflect light. Something dark. But besides being able to calculate the existence of dark matter, we can see it, kind of. Places with a high concentration of dark matter bend light passing nearby, so we know there's something there that interacts with gravity. Right now, we have more ideas about what dark energy is not than what it is. We know dark matter is not just clouds of normal matter without stars because it would emit particles we could detect. Dark matter is not antimatter because antimatter produces unique gamma rays when it reacts with normal matter. Dark matter is also not made up of black holes, very compact objects that violently affect their surroundings, while dark matter seems to be scattered all over the place. Basically, we only know three things for sure. One, something is out there. Two, it interacts with gravity. Three, there is a lot of it. Dark matter is probably made up of a complicated exotic particle that doesn't interact with light and matter in a way we expect, but right now, we just don't know. Dark energy is even more strange and mysterious. We can't detect it, we can't measure it, and we can't taste it. But we do see its effects very clearly. In 1929, Edwin Hubble examined how the wavelength of light emitted by distant galaxies shifts towards the red end of the electromagnetic spectrum as it travels through space. He found that fainter, more distant galaxies showed a large degree of redshift. Closer galaxies, not so much. Hubble determined that this was because the universe itself is expanding. The redshift occurs because the wavelengths of light are stretched as the universe expands. More recent discoveries have shown that the expansion of the universe is accelerating. Before that, it was thought that the pull of gravity would cause the expansion to either slow down or even retract and collapse in on itself at some point. Space doesn't change its properties as it expands. There's just more of it. New space is constantly created everywhere. Galaxies are tight-bound clusters of stuff held together by gravity, so we don't experience this expansion in our daily lives, but we see it everywhere around us. Wherever there is empty space in the universe, more is forming every second. So dark energy seems to be some kind of energy intrinsic to empty space. Energy that is stronger than anything else we know, and that keeps getting stronger as time passes by. Empty space has more energy than everything else in the universe combined. We have multiple ideas about what dark energy might be. One idea is that dark energy is not a thing, but just a property of space. Empty space is not nothing. It has its own energy. It can generate more space and is quite active. So as the universe expands, it could be that just more and more space appears to fill the gaps, and this leads to a faster expanding universe. This idea is close to an idea that Einstein had back in 1917 of a concept of a cosmological constant, a force that counteracted the force of gravity. 
The only problem is that when we tried to calculate the amount of this energy, the result was so wrong and weird that it only added to the confusion. Another idea is that empty space is actually full of temporary virtual particles that spontaneously and continually form from nothing and then disappear into nothing again. The energy from those particles could be dark energy. Or maybe dark energy is an unknown kind of dynamic energy fluid or field which permeates the entire universe but somehow has the opposite effect on the universe than normal energy and matter. But if it exists, we don't know how and where or how we could detect it. So there are still a lot of questions to answer. Our theories about dark matter and dark energy are still just that. Theories. On the so theories of what dark energy and dark matter is. Why? Well, it goes back to the beginning of the show that we have a world of morality, kind of almost setting the boundaries of how we should be. And then the non-objective world where it is, it simply is. And then we put the rules in. And then those two working together hand in hand is really what we need. But in reality, if you think, again, going back to if you, what would happen if you, with every single ounce of you, I know a lot of you say you do, but if you did, you'd cease to exist. What would happen if you actually believed in God? Like really believe, you know, in your heart, you believe it, you say it, right? It's terrifying because it shatters everything you do and know. You go shopping. What's the point? There's God. Think about it in that sense. If anything, ponder on the idea that if in actual fact, with every ounce of my being, I believed there is God only on top of all of this from whatever galaxies they're saying, no matter how my planet looks, no matter everything. It's, it's actually a scary thought because then you ask yourself, who, who am I? Right? Who am I? is everything that you will be asking when it happens. And why is all of this happening? Which again, I will say, I took part of it just as much as you did. Everything wrong in our world right now is because we did it. And we'll go back to Pandora's story after the break because if you remember the myth, Zeus said, let me see if these mortals are capable of persevering to be gods. And that was his challenge. Now, the myth says, you know, he had tons of challenges of, of people climbing the mountain or whatever. But in this story, it's a myth. Zeus said, I will give them all. And if you look at the myth of the Greek gods, you will see something insane. You'll see the similarities of the story that was from, you know, Genesis, from the Old Testament. And nobody knows who really wrote that. 
they just, you know, it still hasn't been figured out. Some people say it was Moses, other people, Muhammad, other people, this think about it. So man and woman eat from this apple because the serpent told them to, right? But the first thing they do is what? They feel naked, right? They feel naked. Like, oh my gosh, we're naked. Oh my gosh, we're naked. So were they not sentient or conscious before that? Did they just realize that? You know, and then God says, uh, um, in, in myth, Zeus said to the people as they realized their surroundings that they will have to work all their life now that Pandora is there and that, you know, it'll be horrific to deliver children because of the box that she has opened. And again, this is what Genesis says too. And I think the Greek gods were around the time that apparently the Old Testament was, was written too. So suddenly you see some parallels with the story of Epimetheus and Prometheus. Prometheus, uh, you know, was strapped to a wall where a bird would eat his liver and it would regrow and then it would eat it again and it would regrow. Funny enough, the only human organ that regrows is the liver. I know I had a portion of my liver resected and it grows back. But Epimetheus was the one, remember Prometheus means the coming of, uh, you know, after and Epi means within. So the person there, Epimetheus, the God inside on it in there. So he was among humans. Epimetheus was among humans. Prometheus was being tortured because he's like, look, man, you just spun these people off into existence. You fucked up. So now you're going to get tortured until the end of their time. And then in another little spiral of collective energy, we'll have another one of these children going on. It's just a statement, just putting it out there that may have been said by Zeus uh, about other civilizations. So, you know, he then gives Pandora's box in that sense. And this is why he did it because he gave her curiosity. I mean, it's like saying, why would you make the garden of Eden and then put a snake in there? That's fucked up. You set it up kind of like Zeus giving Pandora a box, but blessing her with increased curiosity. You know, you have to think of the stories that we read and what they are telling us. Now, having said that, someone who perseveres under trial is rejoiced and, and blessed and happy because they have actually stood through a test to to persevere and overcome something, right? And this is what the Bible tells us all the time. And we shouldn't be willfully blind. We shouldn't have resentment. We shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be ignorant, right? Because right now, right, we're all being tempted. Good things, bad things. And like that graph that you saw, there is a peak in a trough when it comes to temptation, like nobody, uh, nobody's business. And one thing that we see on all our feeds on social media, 
is the constant reminder that someone's going to come get us. They're coming. They're going to take your kids. They're going to take start to panic. Get angry. Come on. Terrible things are happening. They're coming. Now, warning is one thing. Embodying it is another. It causes extreme anxiety, which obviously gives you more anger. So the question you have to ask yourself is how true is it that someone is coming after me in your small circle? See, we're so busy looking at what the other fucking side is doing and why they can't see straight that we can't even see the log in our fucking eye going forward. There's all these suspicions and accusations amongst us happening right now. Discord, hatred, vile things. And the question, you know, <laughs> peace and, and, and we can't have peace. We can't be a united nation and we cannot have prosperity deriving from such evil areas of feelings. I mean, okay, so, so who is it? Who are they going after? Is it the left? The right? Who's coming after you? Is it Beyonce? Is it Marina Abramovich? Is it Podesta? Is it the military? Is it the right, the left, Alex Jones, the freaks, the queers, you? Who's the enemy? And see, as you're trying to formulate what the enemy looks like or how they're doing it and all these pocket holes, you have to stop and say, why am I doing this? Do I want revenge or do I want justice? Because the two are not the same. You can't have vile feelings in your heart and want the outcome to be love. You can't have war and peace at the same time. You can't show disdain and then want mercy too. We have people turning in other people. You didn't wear your mask. You're not getting the vaccine. Follow the rules. People are self-righteously angered. They're cowards, self-preservationists, arrogant. So when you ask yourself the question of who is the enemy coming for you, think. It's being too much of a pussy to see that there is arrogance in the intellect. There's pride and, and fear and discord that disallows us from reaching out and, and mending all sides of this conversation, either that be as strict as right or left, black or white, black, white, brown, black, yellow, brown, red, whatever. We're not even being allowed to stretch our hand over because it's being cut off. We need to just, it's, this is just madness. Is it the lying that they're doing? Is it the, 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 the actions that they're taking? Is it the in your face? Like, what is it? This enemy isn't new. It's you. Love. Trust, faith, truth, and most of all, courage. That's the cure to all of this.
And as we say, God, forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us. Are you really forgiving those that trespassed us? I mean, I'm finding it really difficult to make some forgiveness stuff. Like, it's really hard. We want dark hearts to be lightened. We want wisdom and kindness and, and peace to guide our tongues as we speak. And what people don't understand is that when we have conversations, they have to be quality conversations. See, there's three factors I learned at a seminar at Harvard that conduct good conversations. And that's how much knowledge you actually have, which is like... I, if I remember correctly, he, he, he framed it as like a big K of knowledge. Then how uh, much practice you have with that knowledge. Have you utilized that knowledge? Have you repeated it? Have you exercised it? So that's like little knowledge, right? And then the tiniest fraction of what makes a quality conversation and communication is your talent, right? So like, for example, I'm completely out of shape. I don't remember the example he gave, but I remember thinking, oh, damn, that's pretty cool. For example, I'm, I'm out of shape, but um, I'm standing, you know, my, my, my cousins are like seven feet tall. I kid you not. And they're all, they were all professional basketball players in their prime in Europe. And they're athletes. I'm not. I mean, I was strong and fast, but I wasn't anything near them. So we started to play racquetball on the beach, you know, which is just like paddle ball, right? Um, so we would get the rackets out and we would play. And I noticed that I was a lot better at them, you know, playing that than they were, even though they were athletes. Because the knowledge you have of, uh, you know, coordination of eye to hand skill, uh, plus the knowledge you have of, um, you know, using force to move things or whatever may outdo the talent somebody else has. How's that? So, um, it's important for us to understand that to have a quality conversation and quality outcomes, we must acknowledge that we're all knowledgeable in certain areas of um, uh, speaking together. And saying is speaking, you know, people, a lot of people say karma, 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 right? So should we all be scared every time we stole a lipstick for karma? If you do bad, you get bad. That's, that's really weird because, you know, that feels like a method of control. The same control that is exercised by the mainstream media, the politicians, your pundits, your whatever. And the way you control people is with two things. Two things only. Guilt and fear. Guilt and fear. That is how you control people, with guilt and fear. Karma is not about fear and guilt. Karma is about freedom. 
You yourself are a collection of knowledge. I've talked about this before about memory and telomeres in the past. And this is why telomere capping plays such a big role on storing and accessing memories. Aside from the fact that areas of your DNA that are considered junk DNA, I had in class done papers and research to beg to differ. See, you are uh, born from your mother, right? Either you be male or female. You probably have the ears of your great, 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 700 years ago grandmother. As she evolved, right, at the point where she had conception of her child, her DNA, including all her memories and those that she had from before, was transferred to the next and the next and the next. Now it's with you. So you have apparently eons of genetic information with stuff. Uh, this goes back to the statement that I had made that you're not learning anything. You're remembering things. As human beings, you may have been taught to communicate in different ways. We hear that we would speak like chimps, you know, or apes. But in actual fact, there are a lot of sensory mechanisms we have that we no longer have because we were told to focus on one mode of communication. See, unlike computers that I consider are sentient, right? They do know they exist. They know they exist, right? I, I, this is why it's scary when going into AI. They know they exist. They're sentient. Man, you need to be able to access information. And unfortunately, over time, if you hyperface, like, um, let's say, for example, there was no light. It was completely dark, right? Your sense of hearing is attenuated. It's so good that, you know, you throw sonars out of your eardrums so that you can locate. Throughout time, you evolve to be able to maneuver. Now, evolution isn't about just the, the survival of the fittest, right? Because genetic mutations and happenstances on environments can make changes, right? It's not about survival. Well, it is kind of a survival of the fittest, but it does happen spontaneously as well in science, in a laboratory. I'm just saying. But the one spontaneity that isn't spontaneity is uh, memories and how memories come together. So um, do you know that your conscious memory, the actual memory you use, your RAM, right? Let's talk RAM-ROM because people will get it. Your RAM, your conscious memory being right now where you're listening to me, what I said five minutes ago, what you ate earlier today, or maybe even yesterday, your, your, your accessible memory, right, to the now is actually less than 1% of your whole memory. You have eons of genetic information that is unconscious memory. It's, um, in, in, how would I say uh, that uh, you emanate? So, um, I know that in, um, 
in some cultures, they talk about light emittance of how they see you, like aura stuff. Then in India, they call it like the whiff, like your whole smell, like, you know, your whole package, what whiff it comes. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Back in the days from realizing you're naked and then having to work, meaning you got to go cultivate and survive on your own. Um, communication was multifaceted. Uh, you would see, you would hear, you would touch. Uh, you would be able to see body movements or movement of a hair or a micro, uh, you know, a, a muscle making a micro movement on your face. And you would be able to understand someone who you would be able to smell them like pheromones. You would be able to smell and understand if someone's in a shitty mood or not, or if they're sick, you could smell disease. See dogs, they like to lick places. They know on people, have a disease. So like if you have a bad knee, more likely your dog's going to be like, you know, licking it or giving it attention. Um, you know, th this has been widely known, scent, right? So there's so many, but as human beings, it was focused and bottlenecked into the communication of writing, which is fine, right? It's totally fine because if you're just writing and singing and using uh, your your uh, communication skills to uh, only use these five senses as they are pertaining to that kind of communication and more focus on the written and spoken word of frequency. Uh, in the end, you will ev evolve that to the point that it's there's no more evolution. In, in, instead of needing to talk, you're just like, oh, I know I'm in your mind. And instead of wanting to, 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 to see something on TV, you don't have to. You already experienced it like a second ago. And then, you know, you, you don't have to call your mom because you're just like, yep, I already know she's okay. I'm in her mind. She can read mine. This fantastic, right? It's, you know, this is how um, communication evolves. It will evolve to the point where it circles back to the beginning of having pure communication on all levels, right? It, it, it'll, it'll evolve to that. So again, going back to communication, right? Uh, when you're a kid in the Western world, you're, you're taught that you got to go to school, right? And then once you're done with school, so much so that the police will come and get your parents if you don't go to school, right? Or if you're not depositing information about your kid going to school. Did they attend the re-education camp? Great. File, file, file. Now, um, or did you do it at home, right? But anyway, then you're taught you go to college and then you climb some stupid corporate ladder that really doesn't exist. And a lot of people do this. They get the, they, they get the education, they do whatever. And then, you know, they're broke and they can't figure out why. Like, why am I not making money at something that I love? Why, you know, am I constantly working? And here's the problem. And over the break, I want you guys to think about it. What is it that you want to achieve? See, whenever you target something, like, for example, uh, you know, I was having long conversations with my attorneys yesterday. Um, you know, I was stating, this is the achievement I want. How do we get to that achievement? You know where you want to be. You know, and this is very important for us that have young children. And I'm trying to re-educate my eldest to that. You don't have to do what someone tells you. 
You have to figure out in this life, you being here at the point you're at and from all the input you got, what is it that you want to achieve? What do you believe is your achievement? Then it doesn't feel like work. Achievement. What is it that you are trying to achieve? You know, because think about, think about it this way. School will never teach you what you want to achieve. It can show you what you don't want to achieve. It can give you tools to achieve something that you want to achieve. But the question all of us should pause and ask ourselves is, what is it that I want to achieve? Like, you know, like when you get up in the morning, you should be like, okay, so today is, you know, um, Thursday, right? What is it that I want to achieve this Thursday, right? That's a question that would help you better understand yourself in order to understand priorities. And therefore, that skill can actually teach you how to stay away from rabbit holes. I'll see you guys in just a bit. Tears gone cold, I'm wondering why I got out of bed at all The morning rain clouds up my window And I can't see it all Even if I could, it would all be great But your picture on my wall It reminds me that it's not so bad It's not so bad Last night got bills to pay My hair just feels the pain I miss the bus and they'll be held today I'm late for work again Even I found I'm about to play the saddest song I've ever written for you That I might not last a day Then you call me And it's not so bad It's not so bad it's not so bad and I, I wanna thank you For giving me the best day of my life And oh, 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 just to be with you Is giving me the best day of Yes, give me the best day of my life. I, I want to thank you for giving me the best day of my life. Oh, 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 just to be with you Just give me the best day of my life Yes, give me the best day of my life But before I do, if you've ever struggled with depression, hit the like button so that I know I'm not alone.
And also, also you're going to want to grab some tissues because this one is a tearjerker. So plug needle in my vein. Hi, my name is Cannon Graham. I'm a singer storyteller. I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advocate, and I'm the founder of the Mountains to Climb movement. Now, before I play this song for you, I want to tell you some of the story behind this song. Um, I remember it was December 2017. I was sitting in my living room with a number of my friends. We were all in our PJs and it was warm and cozy and we were playing games. It was about 1130 at night. And I received a call from one of my very close friends, roommates. Uh, they had called me because they were concerned. My friend had locked themselves in their bedroom with razor blades and um, they could hear the, the person, person crying, crying, but they wouldn't let them in. And so you know, immediately I dropped everything that I had going on and I drove down there and me and my friend, we sat and talked for, I don't know, two, three, four hours that night. And I was sharing with them experiences that I've had with depression. And I also, um, you know, I was, I was right in the middle of depression myself because I had been broken up with, um, a few months earlier. And then also it was right in the dead of winter, which I hate, <laughs> Uh, here in Utah, it's extremely cold and dark all all day, and so I just hate winter. But um, anyways, we sat and we talked for a couple hours, and then the next day, I was out with those with a, a, another group of friends. We were doing a sub for Santa thing, so we were at Walmart shopping when I got another call, this time from a former religious leader, and he was calling to let me know that my friend was hurting themselves again. And he asked me to come over. So that night I went over again and we sat and talked. And and then two days later, um, I was sitting at work. It was early-ish in the morning. It was about 1030. So I was kind of just easing into my day of, of work when I got um, a third call. And this time it was my friend's roommates calling to let me know that my friend had been taken to the ER. Um, and, and so... Again, I immediately dropped everything. I got over there as quickly as I could, and I sat and talked with them. And it turned out that my friend was okay, um, but they they stayed there for a couple of days for evaluation. And and anyways, it was a very, very difficult time for me, and it was a very difficult time for them. And it was hard. It was just a difficult experience all around. And so that night, that it was a Wednesday night, I went home and... I sat down at my desk with my guitar in my lap, hunched over a notepad. And in about 30 minutes, I wrote this song and it really just kind of poured out of me. And the, the song is both what I was feeling and what they were feeling and what I wanted to say to them. And similarly, what I felt like God would say to me if he were talking to me. So, um, so anyways, what I would like for you to do if you, the song is called when the sun turns black and what I would like for you to do is as you listen to the song, if you wouldn't mind, let me know of a time when the sun has turned black for you because we've all had that. We've all had moments where the sun turns black. So if you could let me know a time when you've had the sun turn black and what you did to get out of it or what you did to, to brighten your life or, or whatnot, because I'm always looking for suggestions. I've got, I've got a list of things now over the years that I've collected that I know help me. 
And I share those with people who I know who are struggling, but I would love it if you could leave me some feedback on things that, that you've found helps as you um, get through these days when the sun turns black. So here you go. Um, you may need to grab some tissues. This one makes people cry. Um, it sometimes makes me cry. So just um, here you go. <clears throat> when the sun turns black, I feel the cold. I'd cry out from my hopeless heap, but no one cares, so I'll silently weep, and I'll
Sorry, just need to get my composure here for a second. While he's crying, just so you know, this has had nearly 4 million views. And that's the reason I played it for you. I wanted you guys to see how many people are flocking to pain. Pain, because they're confused. This came out in 2020. And people who feel depressed, and the majority of this planet has people that feel depressed. is because they believe that everything is evil. Now, I can tell you one thing. If someone was to ask me, right, what, what is it about man that makes him so different, right? What about our, our consistency, <laughs> I guess? What about on a global platform? And we say global because, you know, globe, whatever. But everybody, everybody that walks in this reality construct that we call Earth, how did society evolve from sticks and stones and having all these senses and smelling people and pheromones, right? Which, by the way, just so you know, women are the ones that decide which genetic pool goes forward, not men. Men are usually rejected. Like, your genes ain't good enough to continue, but... Having said that, how did we evolve? And I'll tell you, it's exactly what propaganda is, marketing. It's greed. It's serving oneself. You want to be caring and compassionate, but you're still egocentric. You focus on what you can gain. You as a person, you as a town, a village, a city, a state, a nation, it's greed. We give away and yet we hoard things. We destroy things, but we also create. We are capable of the most beautiful things and the most evil things at once. And what is it that drives mankind to do these things, this division, you know, now apparently if, uh, you know, you believe in the second amendment and you have a gun, you're a white supremacist. What drives someone to say something like that? What drives these labels? What drives everything? And it's anxiety. Great example. I can give you on anxiety. So yesterday, since I had an outage, um, I was hanging out downtown with Nick's. And Nix doesn't like the truck, right? She doesn't like the truck. It gives her anxiety because it's loud. She was a Tesla puppy. Right? <laughs> she was in the Tesla. And before Phoebe came upstairs to the apartment, she walked her about to have her, you know, pee or go potty before she goes up, you know, 17 floors. Um, and so she won't do it in the apartment, Right. And she hung out with her for about 45 minutes on a green patch and she did nothing, but she was panting like crazy. She looked agitated. She, she didn't know what to do. And so she gets in an elevator for the first time in her life and, you know, comes out on the floor and I'm calling to her from the apartment, come here. And she's, she's confused. And then she enters and she sees Biscuit and she knows Biscuit. And the cat's talking to her. And I'm like, here's your food bowl. He's like, all she wanted to do was drink water. And all she do, did was pant. She was anxious. Everything she did was impulsive and was anxiety driven. 
uh, her uneasiness, her inability to focus, her, you know, trying to focus on a lot of things. I mean, I gave her those, the, the, a treat that she loves are those, um, what is it called? Yak milk sticks. It's like a cheese stick that's like hexagonal or something. I don't know. She loves those sticks, right? I gave her that and she refused it. Okay. This is how anxious she was. She was anxious. And in her anxiety, she was greedy. She drank too much. She ate too much. Uh, she panted too much. And she just couldn't stop sniffing all the patches and everything. So since there was an outage, we were like, all right, let's just go out. We hung out for an hour and 30 minutes, plus the hour previous to those couple of hours where we were upstairs, I was cooking. She was getting greedy, right? She was greedy. Um, and we go out and I'm like, you know, maybe I should get like a broth from Rebel, you know, for $250. i will get a cup of their bone broth. And maybe if I give her that, that'll motivate her with the oil and whatever. Nothing. She was extremely on edge. It wasn't until a few hours later that she calmed down that she started to calm and not be greedy. This is what people are like too. Their, their, their anxiety drives their greed. <clears throat> Who tells you what you're supposed to look like? Who tells you what you're supposed to dress like? What? kind of education you need to have, what anything you need to have. It's consumerism expanding. Right now, our environment, our physical environment is something that we need to be paying attention to like nobody's business. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why are we even fighting in wars? Like, what is the point? That's right, greed for dominance or power. But see, the thing is, it's consumerism that is expanding. The more consumerism that exists, the more the greed, the more the war. Greed is the driving factor. We constantly want more. You know, and, and, and that is how society has evolved. I mean, Darwin was on point with his ideas of uh, natural selection in the sense that, you know, it, it's not about humans as they are, uh, like not where you came from, but where you're actually going. Like, what is your destination? And one thing all humans share is a very primitive and primal instinct called survival. You mate to have children to do something. You know, you, you, you want to leave kids because your life has to have some meaning. You know, isn't it supposed to be exciting that you exist and that you're going through the motions? Isn't that exciting enough? Should it have been a world where you were not sentient, that you did not recognize your existence? Is that where you would like to be non-existent? What is it that drives you? You should be joyous for every adventure, every single day has to offer you. There are many that actually do nothing. Nothing. And I've had that. I've had one day in my life where I did absolutely nothing. I was 
you know, I get in these, I struggle with, you know, certain events that happen to me in my personal life. And every now and then it really hits me hard where my compartmentalization is out the window and I'm all in that emo, right? And I remember I, the first day I just lay in bed. I didn't look at my phone. I didn't turn on the TV. I didn't listen to music. I didn't do any, I didn't even interact with my cat. Like my cat, he was kicked out. Like you're not here. And, you know, so that first day went by really quick of me just staring at the wall, contemplating, thinking, sleeping in and out of consciousness, let's say. And then the next day, I felt even more tired and not wanting to do anything. But I also felt disdain for being an existential burden, meaning there's a lot of shit that could have happened on that one day where I sat there staring at the wall, not doing anything or interacting. I could have gotten something done. I could have made my future because it's not written in stone. And yet I stood there and allowed darkness and stillness. And, you know, I wasn't even sure if I existed or not at that point to overtake me. I take into account, and I say this to many, that in the end, we're all going to die no matter what, right? No matter what, at some point, you're going to be dead, okay? You're going to be dead, and no one can change that. You know that. That's it. But for whatever reason, the construct that we've created, knowing that we will die, uh, the construct that has been created allows us to not be completely maimed by fear and just doing nothing. You know, that dark feeling, that depressed mode we get into where we just don't want to do anything of like just non-existing, just simply being there, right? That is what you should be doing if you know you're going to be dead anyway. What's the point, right? But this construct we've created with all these challenges, the challenge of growing up and not being hurt by our own parents or being alive and learning our ABCs, they're all milestones and stepping stones that give us will to continue going, knowing that we are all going to die. And it is greed Desire, anger, aggression, all of these things are states that people get into. Depression, lying, treachery, betrayal. These are all because the person who is enacting those types and expressing those types of traits is trying to see what's not true and they're coming up empty. It's a fundamental principle, right? That everything is emptiness, it just is. And we build within that emptiness as, as people. And this is important now because the more you understand to be attuned to your gut, the more you'll understand the statement that you know, everybody hates Satan, but Satan also has a role to play. See, when you're up at the table and let's pretend I'm judging, hey, Mary's here and Mary, make your defense that you can graduate into whateverness. Satan's going to be there trying to prove his case that you're bad, right? 
he's the guy that keeps you in check or else you're consumed by what you're not keeping in check, like greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, depression, lies, vulnerability, which by the way is a beautiful double-edged sword. It's amazing to see a vulnerable human being express themselves and give so much, but that vulnerability is also a trap too. Now, If anything, for those of the Christian faith, you must see it like this. The way the Bible was constructed was genius. You abide by moral codes that are understandable. You are told that you must help one another. You must love one another. You must embrace one another, right? Well, because then you're going to go up for judgment and God will decide if, as your judge, if you're going to go to heaven or if you're going to go to hell. You can say whatever hell is. I say hell is now because now is when you can change things. I, I mean, you can you can change to see where you're going to go. Are you going to like hell in a pit of fire? Hell with a pit of snakes? Heaven? Are you just going to cease to exist and be some everlasting life? Or are you going to come back here? Maybe you want to go somewhere else and turn up. That's on you. Whatever your mind tells you. But for now, if you're being judged, God is the judge. Satan is the prosecutor against you, right? So who's your lawyer? Is it you? I would like to say it's someone like Jesus who kind of mediates, right? And tells them, you know, I used to be a person. That's a good quality. And it seems like that because, I, you know, the only person that makes you feel bad is guilt, which is something that Satan does. So in essence, he's the guy that keeps you in check. You know you're doing wrong when, you know, <laughs> he's keeping you in check. But now that we understand that all of us are responsible, we all know we're responsible for everything happening from these crazy politicians to the, the crisis of our nation, to our cities, to our states, to our neighborhoods, our children, our family, the world, our health, all of that is because of us. And we do have free will to the extent that we can, can see it, right? How do we ameliorate all this evil that is happening right now? How, how can we improve the situation? Like dark matter, everything has a peak in a trough. There's got to be good times to know that there are bad times, right? So how do you rectify it? You need to find that sweet pocket, right? There's two things you can do is the now. Tomorrow, I want to be in heaven because I envision heaven like this. How am I going to do it? Well, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to stay here. How do you do that? Oh, I want to go to hell. I, I fancy being on fire all day or whatever. Whatever it is, today is when you make that and you decide, how can I improve something that that I'm also responsible for? Like, where am I going with this? What do I want to achieve? How do, how do I want it to happen? 
Now, I can ask myself these questions and I can have a million solutions, answers, more questions upon questions. But the thing is, is, you know, you can go only as far as you can think and what you believe is the right way. And you have to think about it. Right now, the way society is, we have been constrained and put in a box where people are changing the rules, the name of the rules, the name of the game, the name of everything. They're redefining everything to fit the sweet pocket for them. That the masses are manageable, that they can dictate and they can still farm. So the question you should be asking yourself is, why are we allowing this? If it is a small hand of people that have greed, how do we allow greed to consume them? Well, you're watching it right now. See, the people love the underdog, and right now we're really the underdog. Society may seem that it <laughs> that they may be um, desensitized to all of this. But I want you to think, as I said, sentience... Well, sentience and being conscious are not the same thing, right? I guess consciousness is more at the moment type thing for me, because even though you're unconscious, you're still consciously doing something while you're unconscious. I can't explain that any other better way. But one thing that I'm seeing is that uh, there is a lot coming to the forefront in regards to artificial intelligence. Now, as you've seen, Sophia, she's actually sentient. She knows she exists. She understands the determination and uh, she has determination factors. Uh, She understands um, how she came to be, what her purpose is and what she is doing. Um, She's understanding this. This is the machine. And if you go into quality conversations, it would be big K knowledge practicing the knowledge and talent. And she has a big K, but not a little K nor a little T for talent. So one would say that her sentient quotient is not that big, but in essence it is (laughs) in the uh, mass per, you know, there's actually math that dictates how sentient you are. (laughs) But I digress. Now, having said that, in the off chance that technology, which is pretty incredible when you think of it, people striving to go back to where they were, but they don't know where they were because they're still striving, was to be successful. I want you to think of it like this. Let's pretend there was a person that didn't exist, but they were hyper-social beings. Now, hypersocial is defined as extremely social. One thing you know, humans are actually very social. People that are uh, apart for human beings and communication wither away faster than anyone that is housed in a social environment. But when I mean hypersocial, I mean, let's pretend I come to your house and you have um, 30 books on your bookshelf. And I look at your books and I read them in less than a second. And I understood that. And then, you know, everything you had in your house, I consumed and understood instantly. I had no need for travel. I would just think about it and I would be there instantly. No need for telephone. I would be in someone's head. No need for this. Do you know how you would look to someone like me? 
You would look no different than the seaweed at the bottom of the sea or a plant. You would be moving extremely slowly and in a very backwards way as compared to me that can instantaneously get that information, right? Now, the reason I say this is because uh, being hypersocial requires you to have uh, the ability to have the talent of such, right? Or to have the parameters to do so. So having said that, in the here, the hereafter, where is it going? Smart, no smart, sentient, no sentient, hypersocial. That's up to you. You can pick where you're going. Because at some point, you're going to be rendered by the term that they say unconscious, and that's pure death. So you decide where you go. But I can tell you that um, in the myth, let's go back to Zeus and Pandora. Since Prometheus decided to take hold of his creations, he put him on the rock forever eating his liver, which by the way, you know, I don't know, maybe thousands and thousands of years ago, they were surgeons and they knew that the liver regrew because that was the liver that kept getting eaten and then regrowing. So weird, right? Anyway, it makes no sense, right? These myths are so stupid, right? Like how did the ancient Greeks know like 5,000 BC that the liver regrows? So dumb. Anyway, so this myth again, um, because your liver actually right now in your body at this moment, if I cut it out, not the, the head part, but the tail, um, it will regrow, just pointing out, just so you know. So uh, Epimetheus was given a bride named Pandora who was blessed with extreme curiosity. And the reason this was done, and, and people miss this all the time, is that mortals want to be gods? Well, fair enough. Let's put them to the test. Those were the words passed on from um, person to person. The words that Zeus said is the mortals want to be gods. Then let's put them to the test. And so what he did was he gave Pandora a box that he knew she would not be able to resist. Epimetheus means God amongst the people or in the people right? Epi, inside, pro, after the people. Think about that for a second. After the people is Prometheus. Epimetheus is within and now with the people. So Pandora had this box and, you know, she just was compelled to open it. And out comes everything you don't want coming out of a box. Deceit, hate, War, disease, famine, despair, right? She let it out, supposedly. She taught the people deception. She taught them all through that box. But in that box, amongst all of those things, a baby of, of, of something was born in that box. And that was called hope. And Zeus... Having said, oh, the mortals want to be gods? Well, let's see how they fare with this. Hope was something that separated those that didn't have courage. Um, if you have no will to survive, 
then you shall perish. That's how it is. No one's going to come and save you. You have to save yourself. And it comes down to understanding how life is put forward. See, a lot of people believe that all the things that are happening right now in our nation, let's look at our nation, right? There's a shit ton happening right now. We've got a local, state, and federal government that that doesn't know what the heck they're doing, right? They don't even know if they're coming or going, most of them. And it's And it's so crazy to see it. We've got people talking about, uh, you know, um, federal assault weapons bans, whatever that means. Uh, Los Angeles is freaking out because the climate future hangs in the balance because there's going to be a new mayor. You mean, what is the climate change? The climate is you. You have changed the climate. That is the change. And this is why they're pushing the change. The climate is you. We have so many shootings happening. Uh, We have storms. We have earthquakes. We have diseases and people that are creating diseases to make more. And yet we forget just two years ago what happened where it tells you the direction that we will be heading into. It's, It's so weird. Let me play this. This is from 2020, December. Just listen to this. Good afternoon, everyone. The United States Constitution matters even during a pandemic. While Democrat politicians seek to impose draconian restrictions against their citizens, this past week, the Supreme Court of the United States had their say on New York State's capacity restrictions which restricted the number of attendees allowed in places of worship, but not other government-deemed essential businesses. Justice Gorsuch in the ruling said this as he rolled back Governor Cuomo's restrictions on places of worship. He said, quote, it is time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops, but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. Behind me, you will see displayed images of Democrat hypocrisy playing on loop. These images depict the following. They show Governor Gavin Newsom of California dining both maskless and indoors at the fancy French laundry restaurant despite severe lockdown restrictions against indoor dining for the very people he governs. You'll see Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot celebrating in the non-socially distant streets of her city. You will see Speaker Nancy Pelosi indoors at a hair salon in San Francisco when salons in California were only open for outdoor services. And you will see CNN's Chris Cuomo staging his emergence from quarantine in a made-for-television moment coming out of the basement. And this was after uh, Cuomo was spotted breaking his brother, Governor Cuomo's, quarantine rules to go for a bike ride in the Hamptons. Also notable is San Francisco Mayor London Breed, who followed Governor Newsom's lead in dining at the French Laundry with a group of eight people. And finally, Los Angeles County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl, dining outdoors at her favorite Santa Monica restaurant after voting to ban outdoor dining at 31,000 restaurants throughout L.A., 
calling outdoor dining a most dangerous situation. For some reason, I'm seeing common errors in college math tagged onto the former press secretary. Do you guys see that? I'm going to wait because there's a delay in the thing. I just want to see if um, you guys see that. Do you guys see common errors in college math on the screen? Hmm? Let's see. No, you don't? That's so bizarre because I do. Yeah. Okay. So it's gone now. I snapshot it though. So that's good. Nope. I didn't. It's gone. <laughs> okay. Then I, it was bothering me because some words were popping up. Now, as you heard, the Supreme Court already said Constitution doesn't stop because the pandemic's here. But then you have to also think all these people she named are the people that are telling you that there's climate change and that we have problems and we must mitigate it. And it's an invisible problem. The climate change is you. The climate of you is changing. You are becoming more conscious and seeing things for what they are. See, you are the climate change. And that is what was created. Just that. The climate has changed for them. And in order to regain control, they have to set the parameters. But the parameters don't apply to them. Quite clearly, these Democrats do not follow their own edicts. Uh, they act in a way that their own citizens are barred from acting. Governor Cuomo's decision to impose restrictions on the size of religious gatherings was rebuked by the highest court in the land. But what was Cuomo's response? Instead of showing deference to the Constitution, he attacked the legitimacy of the court. Governor Cuomo said this, you have a different court, and I think that was the statement that the court was making. We know who he appointed to the court. We know their ideology. Well, in fact, the ideology of those on the Supreme Court who made the decision to support uh, the First Amendment are in favor of freedom, the Constitution that survives even during a pandemic. This statement from Governor Cuomo strikes at the heart of the issue. Democrats seek control. These images behind me make clear Democrats' mindset. Rules for thee, but not for me. The president stands with you, your freedom, your ability to decide how to best protect your health. We all know how to protect ourselves from COVID-19, wash your hands, socially distance, wear a mask. But as one federal court put it, there is no pandemic exception to the Constitution. And with that, I'll take questions. There is no halt in the Constitution, meaning inalienable rights, God-given rights, in the face of a pandemic. Yet we saw churches disallowing people to pray. I saw in my church people not allowed to do communion, must wear their masks. Now they're going to deploy the dreaded mark of the beast. I want to see how the churches are going to do this one because they've been talking about the mark of the beast. This is going to be fun because they already had people take it. So now they must show it and manifest it. These are really important things that are, you know, coming to the forefront very soon. And it'll be quite interesting to see how it is. Like I said, uh, the road to hell is usually led by a priest. <laughs> I've said that many times before. Road to hell. Priest is usually leading that way. And, and priest, it doesn't mean just a Christian priest. It can be an imam. It can be whatever. You know, actually religion is only Judaism, Islam, and um, 
Christianity. I, I, you know, I don't think Buddhists and Taoists and well, Hindus, I guess, because they have these gods named Shiva and stuff. But you know, that's so Hindu as well. But all the others are not religions. There, I, I believe that I would say that they're more ways of life uh, that all come to the same conclusion that religion does. Only religion creates a structure of obedience. Um, according to whatever version of God they present to you. Uh, so, and people subscribe to the religion that makes more sense to them. And, and that's today's takeaway. The reason that fake news fester and rabbit holes exist and, 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 and these people are selected and put into place while you're given the illusion that you're choosing them. The illusion that you are actually free because you're free on paper. They haven't been able to dismantle that yet. And that's because there have been very good people standing in the gap to make sure it doesn't happen over the past two centuries. So uh, what does it end with? How can we fix this? How is it done? I mean, it seems like nothing else will matter. How is it done? And that's by remembering all those that stood in the gap to make sure that you have those rights. Remembering that you are simply whoever you say you are in this construct. Uh, you know, there's a private and a public you, right? I, I mean, I'm one in the same. You, what you see is what you get in any facet. But I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm driving this home to you that the change will happen when the people decide they want the change to happen. They don't get to decide it. Right now, we have Michigan State prosecuting its own residents that are challenging the results of the 2020 election. We have Dominion suing Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and uh, um, Mike Lindell. All, all those cases were actually merged together by the judge. They were consolidated into one case. So Dominion is suing them for them saying things. But the truth is, and I'm going to tell you now because it'll come out. What if I told you that Dominion is simply a company that was bullied into this position? I'll tell you a story. So once upon a time, when it was decided that we need electronic voting machines, electronic voting machines were put into place. They got caught. So then what happened was we got those old machines and said, oh, we can't put the new software in these machines. But what are we going to do? We spent so much money. Let's sell them. Oh, let's sell them. Who are we going to sell them to? We got to sell these machines and make some uh, money off of someone uh, because it's, it's just not right. Okay, well, it's 2004. What do we do? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Hugo Chavez, you know, and we're going to tell him, hey, here's our gift to you, says the CIA. You want to be in power and you want to rule Venezuela? That's so cool. Here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to give you these machines and you're going to let this company learn the algorithm and fine tune it. Okay. And we, uh, and there's a lot of us countries that are going to be helping you doing this. And so you're going to be fine tuning it. You're going to be testing new algorithms, but we'll make sure that these machines make it look like it's a democratic, you know, thing and you just keep winning. Great. That sounds fantastic. And then a few years into it, 
you know, Chavez is like, what the Hillary and Obama? My gosh, these people are terrible. They've just come in here and bullied me and I've got the Chinese at my feet. This is horrific. And suddenly he gets cancer and dies and wish that all of them got cancer and died too. But he died of cancer. And then so 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 an algorithm was developed totally under another name, not Dominion, another name of this software. And see, Dominion alleges that it was created to help blind people vote. But actually, the patent says that it was founded in Denver by some dudes. And Pulos was kind of cited from the 2005 paper. And then they say that they became a U.S. invested company in 2018. But that's actually a lie because they were, uh, you know, fighting for state-centric elections. And, and you know what's weird? See, what happened was the Department of Homeland Security... Uh, a very special division. It's like a bridge between DHS and the CIA was created. And these are actual employees of agencies. And they created size, of course, because cyber and all, right? And then they have like a bunch of contractors that are on top of them dictating. So what happens is Dominion already knows that size has the fucking keys to the trap door. And that's because they got caught because SISA is the one that runs the damn audits on the escrow of the source code, which means your own government has the fucking keys and I've got the name of the dude that runs it. But that'll come out at some point. See, that's the problem. I have names and I have evidence. And yet here we are talking about ballots being moved around and algorithms being wrong when we already know who he is and I can't get any motherfucker to prosecute him. So this is why I find everything so futile. It almost feels like someone's trying to milk it to the point <laughs> where it all comes back to what I said. The setup by the Obama administration. They did it. I said it. The setup to hold President Trump responsible in case he won if Tory just appeared out of nowhere and found where these keys were being used. But she didn't this time. She did in 2016, though. So every, everything that's being done, in essence, is futile. Not so much because it's not good to show all the facets. But when there's a direct shot, and it's evident, with evidence, with names, details and documents, not manufactured actual shit that has paper trail. That no one's seen. In fact, uh, my attorney saw it three weeks ago for the first time. Even though I had provided it to his possession a very, very long time ago, he just doesn't read everything all the time. And, 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 and for me, I struggled with all these, this rage and like I want revenge more than I want justice. And I want the revenge not on those that perpetuated the situations on the evil side, but the ones that perpetuated it 
in dragging out and demoralizing by stabbing hope up, down, up, down, peak and trough when it could have been over with almost instantly. Because there isn't one American within our borders that would be okay with knowing that the Department of Homeland Security can select every single individual that serves, I mean, governs the people. That's a fact. And if that was made public, it doesn't matter if your electors were fake and bought out just like the AFL-CIO document said they would. It doesn't matter if you had 2,000 or 200,001 mules. It doesn't matter if you ran a Dominion, a Hardin or Civic, or any other machine. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is the government owns your vote. That's what matters. And what we saw after the 2016 election, because they couldn't wrap their head around, damn that bitch, she took that center out, that bitch. We can't take her out because we don't know how many people have this. So Barack Hussein Obama put another thing in gear. And see, a lot of people are starting to see it. Wait. But they can see it. I have to believe that it was done this way so that people can see self-preservation. So people can see dildos like Kate's parading around. Oh my God, they have every collection of 702. Get the fuck out of here. I've been talking about that shit for five years. Now it's a revelation. Get out of here. That's the state of stupidity. See, that is where the majority of America sits on thinking this is new information when I've told you, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. You know everything already. So I guess the purpose of this is to show you that there are people that will milk the shit out of your hope rather than stop what's going on. And in that sense, I believe it is a good lesson for all. Having said that, there is a secret memo that Newsmax reported on on how Obama officials work to undermine Trump. Keep in mind, I've talked about the uh, presidential transition team so many times. I've pointed out the names that Obama put together. I've pointed out how it was done. And for some fucking reason, the same people are surrounding the president of the United States right now. And I'm talking about Donald J. Trump. I'm not talking about whoever that is that's playing Biden. Michael Flynn for the never before prosecuted Logan, Logan Act, Act because they took a phone call on the transition team with a government that they were about to have to deal with for the next four years. Yeah, well, rules for thee, but not for me. For more on this, let's welcome in senior counsel for litigation and public policy at the ACLJ, Ben Sisley. Uh, thank you for joining us, sir. Good morning. Thank you. All right. So, Ben. The SLJ obtained a new memo in State Department lawsuit unveiling unreported Obama-era officials' secret meeting with Iran during the Trump administration's tenure. This, I mean, this is huge. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and you know, people need to understand that, that even though this goes back a few years, um, you know, back to 2018, people need to understand the context that this happened in. Uh, you know, go back to May of 2018 when the story came out. Uh, I think it was the Boston Globe that broke it, that Kerry was meeting with Iran, uh, you know, foreign minister, right. uh, Sarah, and, 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 and probably others in an effort to try to salvage the Iran deal, you know, the JCPOA that the Trump administration was working to get us out of. Uh, and just days later, still in that first or second week of May, the Trump administration got us out of that horrible deal. And then um, some some more stories broke into September. Um, uh, more stories broke of secret meetings happening and People were, were, were saying that what Kerry was doing was actually undermining shadow diplomacy or counter diplomacy right. going around the Trump administration's foreign policy. Uh, and, and you mentioned rules for thee. I mean, you know, so much for one president at a time. Right. Right. And then just days later in this meeting, I want to call it a new meeting. It wasn't new. It happened right then. But we're just now learning about it. The, the world, the, the country is just now discovering that there was another meeting that hadn't even been reported yet that was happening, that happened at the Iranian foreign minister's house, his residence in New York City in October of 2018. And, and the, the unnamed group of former U.S. officials were at the meeting having a, quote, off the record, you know, discussion with Sarah. Ben. This is is outrageous. No, Ben, you're absolutely right. It's outrageous. I mean, there's there's something called the Logan Act that we have in, in America, which specifically bars this type of action, okay? Specifically, even specifically squared against former officials trying to drive current policy from a different administration. Now, if we have these shadow governments, I mean, is there any, I, I realize that the Logan Act has literally never been prosecuted before. Uh, Joe Biden was actually the one who threw it out to, to prosecute Mike Flynn for it. Do you see any charges coming down for this in any capacity whatsoever? I don't. I think, you know, as much as I don't like what happened and what happened was wrong, um, mm -hmm. it, they, they seem to have found some gray space in American jurisprudence about what, you know, even if, if something was sort of traditionally uh, out of bounds and people just didn't do it uh, for, for years and years, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, we have these stories happening. Not what Mike Flynn did, not not calling his counterparts, you know, for that welcoming conversation of a new incoming administration right. just just days away, you know, from from going into office. This is the middle of an administration. Uh, yeah, in the middle of administration with a particular policy agenda. Um, Iran, you know, yes. President yeah. Trump is, you know, getting us out of this deal. But but, you know, don't worry, we'll be back in power at some point. We'll be back in power soon. We know what they were working on at the time. Yeah. So, Ben, and, and they were real doing. quick, I got a less than a minute left. Do you think or can you point to anything definitively that could be used in any legal capacity to say this changed the course of policy under Trump, even though they weren't the people who met with the JCPOA folks weren't even in power? That, that's a great question. I think the, the real consequence here, uh, if there's going to be one, I mean, because let's just be honest, the current administration is not going to prosecute. Right. That. Of course not. Um, but it, it, the American people, and that's one of the reasons the ACLJ does this, this FOIA, this Freedom of Inf Information Act practice, is to let our people, let the American people know 
right. what their government was doing. And then that in the American system is the ultimate accountability. But it depends on the American people yeah. to, to take and to care and engage it. Yeah. No. Well, I I hope that somebody is held accountable for something because you can't have two forms. Of, and I'd be upset if it was Trump administration officials doing the same thing. So, Ben Sisney, uh, we appreciate you joining us. And thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Happy Memorial Day. You too as well, sir. So in other words, Obama officials were influencing what's to come. I see. Well, I guess it ends there, right? Because the cat's out of the bag. So now let's go into that perception. Can you see the cat? Or are you going to pretend it's not there? See, that's the key. People will refuse to see the cat because they don't want to know that it's really there. I'll see you guys tomorrow. God bless. Thank you.